So Enoch and sound like Matt, would you guys like to take the first 10 minutes or so? Uh, sure. All right, so uh, my name's Enoch. Uh, my real name is Mike. Uh, I'm a production manager. I run a sound company that does live events. And so when I saw the comment period looking like maybe they were going to strangle it out and people were submitting uh, to have the comment period extended, I figured it, it wouldn't hurt to put in for a protest permit and uh, it ended up being a good choice because they rejected the extension of the comment period. And so now we're in a position where we uh, actively have permits being uh, being looked at by the Parks Department right now. And I have a meeting on Friday to finalize them. Uh, and I have my production company. I'm going to front a lot of the gear. And anything I don't have, we're going to rent. And then we're going to have uh, some people on staff just running the event. So then UFDA crew can run uh, run the protests. And uh, we're, we're probably going to set up Friday uh, between 7 and 10 a.m. Uh, we'll have the park getting set up. And we'll have stuff for picketing available. And as people get to D.C., and they're traveling and whatever, uh, they can just move over to the park and hang out there. And it can kind of be like a meeting zone where everybody touches base, you know, pickets if they want to. And then that'll that'll just be right out in front of the FAA headquarters, which is right across the street from Hancock Park. Um, um, and then the next day, we can have a full day of protest with a rally a large picket around the two FAA headquarter buildings, uh, maybe talking to media. If we can get media involved down there, we can set up a small media stage for them to watch the people giving speeches. And if people want to give speeches, they can submit, uh, they can send like a little, little blurb to me about yourself. Cause uh, depending on how bad the parks department is, I'm going to have to submit everybody who does a speech. Have any of the media companies uh, responded to you at all? I've gotten small small media inquiries, like new, small newspapers. That's been the number one thing happening right now. Um, and I'm, I've been telling everybody to hit up their local newspaper and tell them that, that you're going to go to a protest in Washington, D.C. and what it's about and why it matters to you. And I think that that's a really good plan in – getting like the getting the word out about what's happening and like the local media is going to be the least likely to be scared of people ha playing in a field you know what i mean flying some drones over some trees like the, the local media's media is going to be the nicest and when we get to the big media they're going to just have a narrative that they're going to run with so we're going to want to be ready for them with a narrative and that's what that's what it comes down to being at the protest Everybody should like not bring their drones. It's a no-fly zone, so no reason to bring your drones. Maybe bring like pictures of stuff that you're gonna lose the ability to fly or something. Like make posters. We're gonna supply some posters and some stakes to put stuff on if you wanna make your own posters and stuff. Um, but in in general, uh, we're gonna try to just assemble as many people as we can and. <laughs> and get noticed and and up until the protest we're going to be trying real hard to 
hit up media and hit up <coughs> other groups that could maybe protest with us in solidarity. Um, there are some Washington DC based groups that do that. So if they like the cause, maybe like they want to come and defend STEM access to this technology, they might come out. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a general plan, but I just wanted to had the ability and I just wanted to deploy at least all the permitting stuff in case we needed to do a protest and it looks like it's it's needed and i think that we should do it and i've got everything set up and ufda crews helped me get all the ducks in a row we got a website for the for the event called help save our hobby and that's at helpsaverhobby.com you can go there and there's links to all sorts of stuff and we're going to be keep adding stuff so we'll have met links to the metro and the bus uh, schedule so if you get into town you'll have that available right on the website um Anything else that, that we think is going to be helpful or a good tool, we're going to add on there, uh, help direct you to do something valuable with your time in DC. And as you as you mentioned, uh, Mike, this is uh, February 29th. Saturday is the, the day. And then you mentioned uh, Friday you'll be setting up and there'll be things for uh, folks to do to help and participate. And I, I think I see I see that you're, you're well on the way to the $5,000 you want to uh, make to cover expenses and so i would encourage uh, folks here if you can uh, contribute to this cause uh, i have and uh, we'll be uh, sending uh, one of us from the uh, one of the four of us of the fpvfc uh, down to uh, to washington uh, to support and participate this in this effort well thank you for your donation and thank you for your support from the freedom coalition Absolutely. And anybody who can make it down, I think it's going to be not only a show of force of the community that we've all been a part of for so long and we don't want to lose, but it's it's going to be a great opportunity for us all to unify around something that's not random bullshit, <laughs> you know, or a part that came out. Do you have any Absolutely. predictions or hopes for how many people are going to show up? I don't. I was a, this was a, if you build it, they will come kind of scenario. And I'm <laughs> just hoping awesome. everybody shows up. Uh, right now it's looking like 200 people are looking at the event on Facebook. You know, I don't know how many people use Facebook to be able to plan their life around that event schedule, but you know, hopefully a hundred, few hundred, I put the permanent for 1500. So we break 1500 <laughs> We're doing good. Now I have to resubmit permits. <laughs> let's aim for that that sounds like a good another, problem to have another big thing another big thing with this is uh it's peaceful like that that's yeah. that's you know like no riffraff no nonsense because i mean even if somebody has to do something to stop any kind of riffraff that's gonna look bad too and right. I mean, yeah we might be a rowdy bunch but at the same time we want to do this right and uh you know when you spread the word let people let everybody know that that's you know that this is all that all that stuff can wait for you know Sunday or something like Sunday yeah. somewhere else, like right? Maybe uh, maybe be like having fun all the time and doing memes and all all that stuff. But when it comes to this, we've made a front facing organization for help save our hobby because like it's not about the fun. It's it's about saving everything that we're all doing. It's like we're not it's not only about, you know, what we're doing, but it's about what you guys are doing and everybody's doing something different. 
And I think, yep, think yep. that's that's what's beautiful about all this. It's like the innovation is just rampant. And I'd hate to see anything get in the way of that. And no one should bring an X class with a banner and fly it around in front of the protest, right? <laughs> Probably not. No drones. <laughs> no <not>. drones. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not e not even whoops. Yeah, no, I'm bringing my X class. Uh, yeah. We got, we got bring bring your whoops, but save them for the hotels. Yeah, yeah. don't don't get a lot of hotel there. footy. Uh, that's still illegal in DC. <laughs> inside not, a not building? Uh, inside can't. No, inside's not. But yeah, I, I mean, he's right, guys, and and it's very important. Uh, I'll be going uh, to support the FPVFC and and you guys. Um, I really look forward to it. Um, I think it's going to be a good deal. So um, just let me know, uh, <clears throat> Enoch or or um, Gravy, if you need me to do anything. Uh, before I go and uh, what I can do once I get there because uh, I will be there to help. I just want to oh, say man. one thing like if you guys have ideas hit us up because we may like the part that we were able to facilitate is getting to DC and having an event right? Mm -hmm. There's a lot more that we can do in DC you know and so if people have good ideas and they think like we're going to be able to organize to go and do that good idea while we're in dc we should take advantage of that and hit hit us up and if it's good enough we'll throw it on the site and try to organize as many people around it as possible can i can i make a suggestion i don't know uh, maybe maybe a couple of people would be willing to help with this if i if i'm there i'll, I'll be willing to help <clears throat> set up a table with a laptop or a couple laptops help people write up their comment <laughs> Yeah, so we were thinking idea. of we were we were asked, I was asking Zoe if she had a hotspot so that people could comment live like that, and I think that's a really good idea, and especially if we have like a video right there of like, there's some right real nice like guides to how you're going to do your comment and how to make it uh, impactful, and I think like somebody has a little bit of watching that and then jumps in to make a comment, we could we can get a bunch of comments there too. Maybe from regular people walking by, because it's right next to a metro stop. Um, I can I can bring a hotspot. I can get one for free from the local um, um, library. So I, I I can do that for two weeks. I got no issue with that. I've got an unlimited data mobile hotspot on my phone, so I can hook up ten computers to that. Yeah, I've got a. Dedicated, I wouldn't suggest uh, it, but. So the more the merrier. The type of people that'll be there. I'll be able to, we'll be able to figure out anything we need. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> hey, hey, Matt, do you, would you like any help writing up a press release, or is there anything along those lines that uh, we can help with? I mean, yeah, that 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 might be helpful. I'm not particularly a press release guy. I'm more like the the guy in the trenches getting the shows done. Yeah, oh, I, I'm I'm pretty accustomed to writing uh, releases, and you know, if you use it, great. If you don't use it, it's not a problem. So I'll I'll write something up and send it over to you. Hell yeah, man! I really appreciate it. So John right, Solo posted in the general chat. They're asking if anyone knows any celebrities or big names that can help support this or show up in D.C. I don't, but maybe somebody else does. Um, like hobby celebrity in big name or uh just like big names in general <laughs> I, I suppose either would be great actually well, you know what? already gonna be there well you know what we could do is um we could reach out 
um, anybody that has contact with Ryan, I, Ryan Bader, I think his name was the the pitcher that was. Uh, yeah, from Detroit. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like maybe somebody, if anybody knows him, we can reach out to him. I I, I know the Rotorad crew has had contact because I mean he was in an episode, and then maybe he can. I mean, there's there's plenty of other you know famous people. Yeah, the um. There's that indie driver too that Drew knows. Yep. Um, yeah, the guy that does the high speed. Yeah, but he's also yeah. a he's also also a racer, FPV racer. So yes. I just forgot yeah, his yeah, name. Does that professional yeah. baseball? I think he was a pitcher. Still fly at all? Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, I guess What's we'll find again? out when somebody reaches out to him. I, I want to say his name was Ryan Bader, but I could be completely wrong. Also, another we, we should try to get a hold of Adam Savage from Tested because I know yeah. he's a drone pilot. Yep. Uh, same thing with definitely get a hold of him. If anybody's got a connect for uh, Dead Mouse, that'd be great. He, I mean, he's got tons of stuff. That's like his passion. I might. I just don't want to call the guy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right any other questions for for these guys and on the protest all right i was thinking that having a display table or something out there showing people that it's not what these it's not like we fly these giant delivery drones but i mean i know it's i know it's illegal to fly there but having i mean i drive through there all the time for work and i keep my drones in my car all the time so but yeah, it's, I mean, yeah, most people don't have a clue what we actually fly versus what they're regulating to. And yeah, I know. think having display tables is a good, is a good idea. We're going to be bringing a bunch of folding tables. Um, and we're thinking like the commenting thing or, uh, you know, other, other things that people could use tables for. And I think like a display table that people could put their stuff on and show it off. I mean, that could be, that could be helpful. I'll sure. even bring a scale uh, so but that we just we gotta not show them wait. Let anything fly, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No bad. Also, Department of Homeland Security is directly behind the park. Heads up. <laughs> and they do not they will be open. Department of Homeland Security. Yes. And they, they have they no sense of close. humor. Right. They, they have all my information anyway. <laughs> and now they have all mine. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Just so, if you get guys. in trouble, <laughs> guys. So you know, key point here: no flying. Um, keep it civil. Uh, nobody goes to jail. Um, that's not what we need to get exposure. Uh, we need to portray ourselves as as uh, hobbyists, as professionals, as um, people who really want to see this thrive in the United States. So. Um, Enoch and Gravy, thank you. Um, I think it's going to be a good deal, and uh, I can't wait to see you guys there. So, um, Zoe, Zoe's here too. Zoe, hey, I sorry, didn't see you down yeah, there. I actually helped Zoe, write the website. Hey. That's awesome, Zoe. Great job. Um, I know, it's a big part, part of it. it. It's a great. Yeah, I've been website. like in the background, you know, because I haven't wanted to hit it up. But like, <laughs> Enoch's doing all the work. From afar. I, I just sprinkle I just sprinkle the Parmesan on it, yeah. Just a little, <laughs> little Parmesan from me, but yeah. It's gonna it's make great. a protest. I think honestly, 
from everything that everyone's doing from the protest to organizing around the comments that we have to submit every little bit helps and i honestly think we'll be able to show the faa why these new rules have to change and i honestly think we'll be successful in getting what we need done so thank you everybody for the support on this like this is this takes you know a village and this is one issue that i think everyone can agree on that needs support more now than ever so keep pushing uh again if you guys have any more ideas hit up enoch hit up the people at the freedom coalition um because we are entering the 11th hour on this stuff so and if you haven't seen it rotor riot yeah. put out a great video today talking all about it <clears throat> excellent excellent all right so um on that same note we are i'm going to cover and i'm not going to release the document yet because we still have some work to do on this guys but this is going to be the um i i want to cover the main gist of the fpvfc's uh official response and uh it's something that we've worked hard on and and by meaning i'm going to cover the gist of it this document is 22 pages long um and nobody wants to read that right now so um but the reason it is so long is because we're putting a lot of data into it and a lot of uh i guess analytics and um just reasoning and and whatnot in our responses but i do want to cover the the general gist of it and then um as soon as this goes live i'm gonna create a video uh kind of covering each one of these and i'm gonna try and keep it short and and simple but you can use this to kind of formulate your own response and a couple of things that i would like to say is number one thank you to everybody who commented on the talking points because through that we were able to put this together and uh further we're going to be sending this out to um a lot of people uh in in the industry uh to get their standpoint on it before we officially release it um and we want to give everybody uh, the opportunity to give their two cents to it so uh first off i um we're going to start off with the biggest thing is going to be the connectivity issue so uh from the NPRM uh, standard remote ID requires connectivity to a remote ID USS as well as uh, broadcast. So you need an internet connection and radio frequency broadcast. For limited, it's internet connection only, which means that it creates a problem where, number one, it's a privacy issue. Uh, actually, number one, it doesn't solve any safety or security issues and creates uh, excessive costs for operators as well as over-restrictive flight operation limits. Um, internet connection uh, from a control station creates privacy issues as raise, raises the risk of personal safety to the operator. Um, we've spoken to, and many of you know, UAS operators who have been shot at, been the victim of assault or battery, and have encountered safety concerns while flying UAS due to the inability to detect and avoid other aircraft due to loud and aggressive bystanders. So I'm sure some of you, if not quite a few of you, have had uh, opportunities, I'm going to say, with people who aren't really keen on us flying our, our aircraft around them. So 
people knowing where we're at essentially is not a good idea. Yeah. Um, any, and I'm going to, throughout this, I want to ask you guys to kind of chime in and let us know what you think. And Josh, let me know if you want uh, me to uh, put up the graphic that we've created for the document. Oh yeah, go ahead, please. Um, second, uh, we kind of jump into some of the data that the FAA has kind of presented. So the FAA asserts that 93% of the existing UAS fleet could be firmware upgraded. Uh, the FPVFC says that's 0%. None of the existing UAS, including hobby grade, uh, commercial grade, can be a firmware upgraded to comply with this. Um, they also assume that the average cost of a UAS is $114. Um, we, we suppose that the average cost is closer to $500. Um, in addition, uh, the USS uh, monthly subscription fee would be $2.50 a month. However, you know that's going to be up to a third party. And the FAA doesn't know what those third parties are going to cost or charge for that. Um, we fully recommend that the FAA eliminate network-based operations for both standard and uh, limited. We also recommend that the limited class, um, we also recommend that the limited class be completely done away with. Um, we, want, we want it e-limited. Yeah, e-limited, gone, gone away, um, leaving only standard and non-equipped. And I'll get right. to my reasons behind that. Here in a second, but standard would rely exclusively on um, broad RF broadcast only. That's our that's our suggestion. No internet connection, no data broadcast over the internet, uh, no need for cybersecurity, so on and so forth. Uh, any questions or comments on any of that? Um, yeah. Sorry, is that per aircraft? Um, as far as I know, no. Um, I actually responded to a, a post from Fred over in the flight test forums. Uh, the $2.50 a month uh, is supposed to be per operator. But again, we don't know what those USS uh, suppliers are going to be charging. Um, Ryfly, uh, the cost is closer to 700 It could be. Um, our survey was done across the FPV membership, FPVFC membership, and the average, you know, depending, uh, some people, you know, when you factor in, you know, some of the X class versus a tiny whoop, it, it all starts to average out from a hobbyist standpoint around $500. Go get data if it didn't exist uh, and calculate uh, uh, data and information. And so it, as you put together your your own uh, submission, you know, use your personal information, use what data you have. If the idea is to, you know, as we've been saying, polite, professional, productive, constructive, and uh, uh, unique. Absolutely. Um, and, and guys, I don't, uh, what I want to say along those lines is, is we do have a lot of reasoning and whatnot. You can use the reasoning in this document just make sure it's it's unique enough to to stand out um you know i would love for us to be able to copy and paste this for everybody that's not the name of the game here so um there's a couple different things here uh minimum performance requirements for remote id um 
I'm going to name off a couple real quick. Uh, control station and UAS location, automatic uh, RID connections, time marks, self-testing, tamper resistance, connectivity, error correction, interference considerations, so on and so forth. Uh, we broke down each and every one of those. Um, and uh, some of the key ones are going to be, obviously, control station and UAS location. Um, the FPVFC concludes that UAS location supplied by an RF broad broadcast remote ID solution to be adequate to satisfy remote ID requirements. This should be achieved by a supplemental add-on module from an FAA-approved vendor or from an open-source implement implementation using FAA-approved capabilities. Control station location is not necessary as this has the potential to put the operator's safety and security at risk. Also, keep in mind when I'm talking about remote ID from this point forward, Remote ID and anything like RF broadcast does not apply to non-equipped, which means us, our hobby grade. Um, we uh, basically will get into what the non-equipped non is going to be or what we suggest it should be. Um, but anytime I'm talking about broadcasts or remote ID, think of it as um, you're trying to satisfy that and not just go out and fly and have fun like we do on a daily basis. Um, automatic uh, remote ID uh, USS connection. USSSS is going to be unmanned service supplier. These are the people that want to utilize your, or basically you're going to connect to, subscribe to, uh, to get your data across. Um, the FPVFC concludes by eliminating the need for internet broadcast solution. Automatic RID USS connection becomes a non-issue and should be removed from any final rule. RF broadcast solution would not need to connect to a, a remote ID USS. Um, Self-testing. The RF broadcast remote ID module could have simple LED indicator lights that would show the result of the self-test upon start. If the self-test fails, UAS would only be able to be flown as the UAS or as a non-equipped UAS. So key here is no restriction. If your remote ID fails, you're going to fly it as a non-equipped. Um, if equipped, the failed post could also be configured to trigger an audible alarm on the UAS, as well as a visual alert or warning um, for any feed. Um, there's no need to restrict takeoff of the UAS. The monitoring could be transmitted as part of the telemetry package of the UAS and supplied to the operator constantly. So we all know that uh, uh, telemetry is a thing. We use it. A lot of people use it. I use it. Um, but uh, remote ID could just come back down as a simple information on the on the uh, telemetry feed. Um, tamper resistance, the issue with tamper resistance, obviously if we're gonna be doing, uh, if you want to fly as a standard remote ID, which means these are gonna be operations in which you wanna fly beyond visual line of sight, you wanna fly over people, you wanna do the things like commercial operators do, that's when you're gonna equip one of these units, that it needs to be an add-on module. Um, obviously when that comes into play, tamper resistance is not a big, issue um I, I think it's a good thing to not be able to tamper with it but you know there's going to be those who do and that's going to be on them so no issue with the tamper resistance connectivity no need for uh no need for internet connectivity with an rf broadcast remote id solution internet uh connectivity should not be required and should not be implemented due to privacy violations as, as well as safety and security Error correction, obviously no issue with that. Interference consideration, no issue with that. Um, 
on and on and on. We're just going through basically saying, get rid of internet connection, get rid of internet connection. So, and the, and the, uh, the way we wrote this as Josh was saying is that the, in the prior documents with the talking points, with the distillation, the FAQ, the audience was our community. Now the audience of course is the FAA and it's, it's specifically some individual that has to sit there and read this thing. So we're we're trying to make it clear, respectful, and you know it's very pedantic. And so it just lays out the story, and you know, it's been a little tough to write because it is so dry. Uh, we've been advised by people who have done this for decades that this is uh, is the way. To so second to all the get rid of the internet connection is going to be who has access to the RF broadcast remote ID solution. Um, obviously, that should not be accessible by the general public, um, but open to, and we use the term administrator, which is the FAA administrator and the FAA as a whole, and his delegates as well as law enforcement. Uh, the technology to protect the operator's location information is ins insufficient mature to be effective and there should therefore should not be a part of this rule <clears throat> so obviously we want to limit who can access this data we don't want joe blow down the street being able to pull up his phone see where you're flying come track you down it's you know absolutely not that is not what what needs to happen you need to be safe and you need to be free to do what you uh have the right to do plain and simple um so let's see. Um, sorry, I'm kind of jumping through this pretty quickly. Um, I don't want to. Let's see. Uh, manufacturers. So um, big deal here is, as we all know, is the FAA wants to limit standard and limited remote ID solutions to FAA approved <clears throat> manufacturers, excuse me, um, as well as limit people who uh, build their own or are amateur built UAS to free of sites. Um, so the FPV asserts uh, <clears throat> uh, that uh, the NPRM describes rules and requirements of UAS designers and producers, which are beyond the authority of the FAA. Uh, the FAA's authority is restricted to the natural, national airspace. Um, in addition, at the end of 2019, UAS amateur built fleet in the United States is approximately 200,000 quadcopters, approximately 15% of the 1.3 million recreational drones. This rule would ground all of these UAS and require inspection processes that would be unforeseeable, unenforceable as the FAA would be required to inspect the households of some 200,000 U.S. citizens on an ad hoc schedule. Uh, this is explicitly beyond. <clears throat> oh, in addition, the rule stipulates it would be unlawful for individuals to produce amateur built UAS in terms of uh, remote ID, standard remote ID. Um, this is explicitly beyond the FAA's authority and raises the specter of a Fourth Amendment constitutional challenge, thus detracting from the FAA's goals of regulating the national airspace. So long story short, they can't control what you do on the ground. Um, so uh, 
in terms of uh, what we're proposing, uh, the FP, FPVFC proposes that to allow recreational UAS flyers to fly in uncontrolled airspace as they do today with registration for the pilot only. For controlled airspace, recreational flyers would be required to request approval via the Lance application. Um, so basically, we are proposing that unequipped UAS be able to fly in uncontrolled airspace like you do right now. And if you're going to fly in controlled, uh, use the Lance app. So nothing different from today. <coughs> Sorry, I'm talking fast and drying myself out here. That sounds really good so far. Thank you for putting that together. And, Absolutely. Uh, so uh, we do have a little bit more to go. Um, design and production requirements. Um, recreational UAS should not be required to be separately registered. Um, per NPRM section, not going to go into the sections. Um, amateur built UAS are restricted to fly only in FRIAs. We request the concept of a FRIA be eliminated. And in addition, request amateur built UAS be allowed to fly line of sight, i.e. with a spotter in uncontrolled airspace and also line of sight with approval um, within, with, via Lance through controlled airspace. Uh, UAS operators have consistently demonstrated the ability to safely operate outside of FRIAs presently. And with the addition Additional controls such as Lance and broadcast remote ID without internet connectivity would meet the FAA's goals. Um, let's see, from a survey taken, let's, no, I'm not going to go. Oh, here we go. From a survey taken from FPVFC members, the average cost uh, to the owner of a recreational drone exceeds $500, and the average lifespan of a drone is six years. So keep in mind, guys, that our drones are fixable, repairable, upgradable. Um, so I still have every single one of my drones that I've ever built. Um, you know, some of them may have a broken arm that needs to be replaced, but that's easy to do as long as somebody's still making those arms or you can get one cut. Uh, there really, there literally is no ultimate limit to the lifespan of a UAS. You know, I have had, go ahead. And the point we're driving home is if the if the cost is $114 and the lifespan is short and 90% uh, can be upgraded with firmware, which we have debunked all of those, then you know, the, uh, that's how the FAA was able to say, well, you know, there should be no grandfathering and this can all happen very quickly. And so we've, you know, turned that, you know, we've provided the best proof and data we can to demonstrate that you know, it's a higher price, it's a longer lifespan, and we all have many more than two of these uh, aircraft. Uh, and so the cost to us and uh, the cost to the industry would be significant to cut over to um, make a, a, an aircraft compliant. Right. So second to that, um, you know, there's like to, to go to uh, Dan's point, there's no way to define when an upgraded drone becomes a new drone. Uh, so I have, I've exhausted one frame. Uh, I have an alien frame that I retired from service after, you know, probably two and a half years, but all I did was take the electronics out of it, transferred it directly to a new, and uh, it's still the same alien. It's just got different carbon fiber. Does that constitute a brand new I mean, so it, it's very difficult to uh, 
dictate when something becomes brand new. So under, <clears throat> so under the heading of a, a solution or a recommendation, we've put forward the idea that for that large, you know, the longer distance beyond visual line of sight mission, where we think that uh, a standard uh, remote ID UAS makes sense, that is broadcast only, then what we're suggesting is a uh, a transponder and a, a with a burned in serial number does make sense and would like that as a module that is fungible and we can uh, put and we can take take on and put on, on take off and put on to a, a number of different aircraft. That is a slightly slippery slope, in my opinion. If you're going to say that we concede that having a one FAA certified piece of electronics on there, I worry that's going to completely destroy all the autopilot open source ability because certified and open source, I, I'm coming from an aerospace industry perspective, that is absolutely orthogonal or the antithesis of certified is open source. So I don't think that I'm worried. I, don't, I, never, I never said open source. Uh, I said a, an electronic module that has a transponder and a burn serial number. So that's, the, that's all it, that's all it does. So, so from, ACE to, to kind of uh, alleviate some of your concerns, we're not talking about something that would need to be integrated into a flight controller per se, like like a beta flight flight controller. So um, there's no way from what we're proposing, uh, there's no way for it to stop your flight. There's no way for it to <clears throat> uh, change the behavior of your drone for somebody to take over your drone. It is literally the same thing as a simple uh, transmitter, a VTX, where all it's doing is it's got your serial number, it puts it out on a broadcast, and uh, that's all it does. It takes the data you put into it, whether that's your GPS or um, anything else that you want to feed into it for it to broadcast, that's all it's doing. There's no, there's no control. So think of it as something, a plug and play module. <clears throat> all it would need, essentially, is power and a connection to a GPS if you choose that route. Does that make sense? Yeah, I understand that, but um, I'm still quite concerned that now you're allowing electronics to be certified. Um, for the long range case, how can I best articulate this? Um, yeah, I would rather if we just removed the BVLOS distinction completely, um, especially if you're just going to be flying in class golf airspace um, out in the middle of the mountains, out in the middle of nowhere, uh, in the safety perspective. So there's two things to identify here. There's the security side, which is what RID seems to be designed for. But then there's a the safety side, which is RID does absolutely nothing. And uh, having a transponder on the aircraft makes no sense. In the aeronautical, as a private pilot, you in the private pilot handbook, you have a... Uh, order of operations of sorts. So this traffic has to yield to this traffic, to this traffic, to this traffic. So at the very top of the totem pole is balloons. They have to have everyone yield to them. And then at the very bottom of the totem pole would probably be our newfangled devices, the UAVs, which means that we have to, we are responsible for deconflicting any collisions with any of the traffic down the totem pole. Therefore, that's, that's, I feel that's like... True. And, and we're, we're with you. And so if you look at the, the diagram and the, doc, the talking points, We've been we've been asserting that for uh, the instance where we're flying visual line of sight, we're suggesting no uh, remote ID equipment at all. 
for the situation where yeah. we're going beyond visual line of sight, we're suggesting that um, equipment is probably going to remote ID equipment will be required and that this has been uh, the situation and the recommendation uh, consistently for from the ARC, from uh, ASTM, from the Drone Advisory Committee. So, yeah, I don't think we're going to, you know, just be able to say that there's no equipment. And de detect and avoid certainly is the responsibility of the, of the UAS. Yeah. Anyhow, I, sorry for interrupting and going on that tangent. Anyhow, continue. And, uh, no, you're fine. I welcome comments every step of the way. Feel free to interrupt me. I, I've got something real quick I'd like Absolutely. to address as far as that's concerned. Um, if we're going to do remote ID, we're already completely paranoid about signal frequencies, powers, whether it be for jumping over on somebody else. I mean, I know people that won't even leave the Wi-Fi on their GoPro because they're worried about losing that 2.4 gigahertz link between their FR Sky system. If we have an RF signal that is constantly transponding, then they have to determine something that has to be able to broadcast a, min uh, a minimum distance, which means you're going to have a certain amount of power. You're going to have to designate extra frequencies that are going to be we'll just call it for simplicity, non-interference frequencies. Um, if they're going to do yes, something, is, the only way the I'd whole, be happy... This is right, the whole topic of conversation that the Congress uh, mandated the FAA working with the FCC, working with the NTIA, uh, come back with a report on how this uh, should work. And so the, the one point of agreement that does uh, appear to happen is that uh, if this, the one signal that uh, is command and control appears to be the only one that is uh, a life-saving uh, uh, frequency and the others um, appear to be able to be shared. And so there is a, a lot of thought about uh, interference as well as you know, how to manage this with a protected or, or licensed uh, spectrum. Well, so unfortunately, like the this system, this topic... they already did it because it's a passive system it gets triggered by someone else's broadcast. Uh, yeah, and, that's true. And, 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 and that's, that's the only way that we can operate safely with that because when you start talking, especially when beyond line of sight issues, we're already dealing with stretching signals to their maximum. So one of the, one of the things, and, and a lot of people probably gloss over this part in the NPRM, but and I kind of glossed over it too, was the interference considerations. When I said I had no issue with this, it's because the FAA and the NPRM is mandating that remote ID cannot interfere with any control or video signal that is coming off uh, a UAS. So um, <clears throat> the onus would be on them to develop the, the, the correct uh, uh, frequency for those remote ID RF broadcasts to function. Um, right, but it's not just frequency, it's power. Understood, but uh, a low enough frequency, and this would be my kind of pushback, um, because they are looking at a couple different frequencies, a low enough frequency doesn't require a lot of power to transmit uh, sufficiently a sufficient distance to satisfy remote ID. So, and when I say a sufficient distance, um, you're looking at a mile to two mile range, because that's all anybody would even need. Um, 
That's but, not necessarily true, though, is it? No, it is. Yeah. Um, I've, I've done research into this. It's something that my company has been playing with. We can get two to four kilometers on 25 milliwatts doing, like, you know, 400 megahertz. Well, I'm not well, saying that, that the technical aspect's wrong, but two miles, when you're talking about objects that are traveling several hundred miles an hour, that's not sufficient distance for them to receive the signal, um, understand what it is, orient where it is in relation to where they are in the airspace, and then do something about it. If you if you read if you read the Pathfinder three and the Assure documents, interestingly enough, closure rates are not something that is discussed. They just okay. talk about what they what they talk about as a baseline is what can a person see, and then they uh, characterize things like uh, extended visual line of sight where there's a remote spotter. So, uh, you know, having to you know you know calculate the closure rate at uh, you know 200 knots and we're doing 80 knots, and you know that's uh, uh, you know, that tends to chew up a lot of distance in a hurry. But that that appears not to be uh, a point of uh, discussion. Second okay, to that, I was just curious oh, because I'm I'm sorry. It's just dealing with uh, my recreational waiver. That's something that um, the local uh, uh, Air National Guard base is kicking back and kind of having discussions with the FAA about is because if I'm flying, it doesn't give their aircraft enough time. You know, they want me essentially out of their airspace. Right, and, and, and they're trying totally, to use that as an argument. Totally understand that, but the 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 ultimate letter of the remote ID in PRM is not about safety because, <clears throat> for the for the most part, whether you're looking at the hobbyist community or the the UAS space as a whole, we have the best safety track record, period, hands down, of anything flying in the air, of anything that has ever flown in the air. So this is from a security standpoint. This is not about people detecting and avoiding you in the letter of it. It's about the security aspect where they want to know where you're flying so that they can uh, respond. Let's say, you know, there's been a couple good instances. There's a wildfire. Somebody's intruding the airspace of the wildfire. Boom, they have a remote ID. They can tag that. Or somebody's flying over the Super Bowl. Boom. They have a remote ID tag. They can trigger that. So does that make sense? Yeah, that's the elephant in the room. And uh, I think that one way to approach this then and trying to deflect the whole or yeah, elephant in the room thing then is uh, I worked in counter ES for two years. So um, I know all about how to shoot down drones with other drones. And that's really when you come down to something as invading in a fire uh, area or going over the going over a stadium, you have to admit, and I wish we could drive that home to the regulators, is that get rid of RID because there's always going to be bad actors. The real solution is you just need to give legal uh, ability for people to shoot down drones if they have ownership over that airspace. So I guess we're basically conceding. Absolutely not. Yeah, I would, I would kind of push back on that because then you're going to have... Uh, you know, Joe Schmo, who doesn't want you flying over his backyard, you know, that you're using as a pass through or you're flying in the park directly behind his house, which you have complete rights to do. And he's going to take offense and blow your drone out of the air. Uh, no, yeah, absolutely not. Put up, that's why there's regulations, though, under the situations. He's not talking about anybody that can shoot it down, but 
authorities. If you're talking about a Super Bowl game, they're going to gotcha. have a police yeah. presence or so, something. Well, what I'm imagining happening is the FAA is going to mandate that states get compliant. And for states to get compliant, they'll have to get sky cops. And the sky cops will use anti-drone technology like guns or towers or whatever the hell they need to do to go and police this, the airspace that the FAA wants policed, you know? And that's how they'll be able to enforce their fines. I mean, technically, all they have to do is jam 2.4 gigahertz. That really wouldn't be that hard. And well, I yeah, mean, and everybody's gonna blow out everybody's Wi-Fi and cell yeah. phones. So, oh, for a few, no, for a few seconds, and most cell phones are on five gigahertz now. Anyway, I mean, you're talking about jamming, not destroying the electronics. All you have to do is jam a signal. Temporary, you get jammed almost every time you drive by an airport so just most, from the overpower uh, of the radar. So most counter UAS systems right now are directionally based, so when they go to jam the signal, it's only going to be within the cone of fire where the drone's at, not the surrounding area. Um, exactly. And even and within the direction, not Omni. Then there's you know, dummy systems where it's like, Andro, if you look in that Real Consequences of Drone Remote ID video that I made, um, there's a company in there called Andril, and they have drones that fly into other drones. So, you know, that'll just become an arms race of getting a faster drone to fly into your drone. Yeah. Anyhow, I have just, a $35 yeah, million dollar contract already. I saw that video. They All their all their drones were stationary. I think if you're moving, you're okay. So, Josh, yeah, I don't think now. there's any... I don't think there's anything in the NPRM on counter UAS. No, there's not. No. That was, that was my suggestion to... Keep going. <laughs> okay. So, um, obviously, uh, we go through the design and production requirements. Uh, biggest on there is that uh, amateur should be able to, n number one, not be restricted to Frias, be able to continue doing what we do today. I'm going to start paraphrasing because we're kind of come, coming close to the end of the time here. Um, let's see. Um, <laughs> So, at minimum, a non-equipped amateur-built UAS should be able to fly anywhere in uncontrolled airspace, as they may today under current recreational rules. For controlled airspace, amateur-built UAS should be able to fly with Lance approval. Restricting UAS to FRIAs, which the FAA expects will diminish in number quickly, means small UAS may not be flown over landowners' property, public areas, or aeronautical club permanent flying sites unless these locations are approved by the FAA through an application submitted by a community-based organization. These restrictions create a barrier to the hobby that seeks to create a monopolistic system through which a CBO can mandate both membership fees and club fees to be extorted from UAS operators in order to fly recreationally. Further, since the FAA has failed to identify exactly what CBOs are, there is no current way to comply with this requirement. Since realistically, there is only one viable CBO that currently possesses flying locations across the United States, this creates an unfair business practice. These restrictions do not solve any safety or security issues, but will have a negative impact on the youth of the United States by inhibiting participation in aviation activities. So we go on about that. Um, so obviously, free is bad. Uh, restricting people to free is bad. Uh, restricting um, uh, amateur built, bad. 
limited remote ID needs to go away. Standard remote ID needs to be RF broadcast only. Uh, we need to continue to do what we do today. Uh, registration should be on a pilot basis for recreational, not on a per drone basis. Um, we do include information on the average uh, UA, uh, average recreational has upwards of 10 to 20 uh, UAS. Um, I'm sure many of you probably have more than that. Um, any questions, comments, concerns beyond what we've already voiced on the FPV standpoint and anything that you feel that we should include or think about as we're finalizing this document? Um, uh, my standpoint. Oh, go ahead. I was just saying I like it. Thank you. Yeah, I think this is great. I appreciate it. Um, being a member of the community here, I guess the one thought I have, and if we have an ultimate overreaching point, I'd take sort of the Elon Musk vantage to saying either there's two possibilities. Either we live in a world where we get to fly our not only our quads, but in the future, our jetpacks or our own personal air vehicles freely and with privacy and with complete freedom or not. Either we get to live in a world now and in the future where the precedent set is that we get to fly in a free and open society or we live in a totalitarian regime. That's really what this is going down to. Yep. That's my view. Well, I don't think it's quite that binary but okay we hear what you're saying <laughs> yeah, absolutely so um yeah. last point one of the things that we do put in here um i do want to get this out because i know a lot of people commented this on the uh talking points uh the fpv reiterates its recommendation that operation without a remote id for aircraft under 250 grams should not be limited to free sites with that in mind the fpv further proposes that the faa eliminate the proposed rule to register all UAS greater than 250 grams and retains current recreational UAS pilot registration. In addition, the FPVFC proposes the 250 gram clip level be raised to one kilogram. Even at this mass, the UAS do not create an excess, excessive kinetic energy safety issue as described in the final report for yada, yada, yada. With respect to having to register each UAS above a set mass, the FAA estimates the average number of UAS uh, in the U.S. Uh, recreational fleet is two with a lifespan of three years. We believe uh, through a survey representative of the hobby that the average number is 15 with a lifespan extending six years. So we are asking to raise that clip level from 250 grams to um, one kilogram. And uh, even beyond that, there was one other thing that I wanted to cover. Shielded ops? Yes, thank you. That's what it was. We do put in a proposal for shielded operations. What page is that on, Dave? I'm sorry. Don't know. <laughs> Crap. <laughs> what I can well you're Control uh, F. what I can what I can share with on shielded operations a couple of days before the protests, I'll be in Washington presenting to the FAA drone advisory committee. Uh, there were 36 people working on a committee of uh, UAS facilities maps uh, to refine the grids. And one of the uh, elements that I was able to get a complete agreement on and include in the recommendation to the FAA was shielded operations. 
So little. So you know, this is little by little. Absolutely. Um, our proposal for shooted operations. Um, this would exempt any UAS commercial or recreational from any and all remote ID requirements when the following criteria are met. Operation takes place in any airspace except over air traffic controlled airports, and that means over or within the you know radius thereof. Uh, operation does not exceed an altitude of 50 feet over the tallest op object within 1,000 lateral yards of the location of the operator's ground station. Um, and then lands would be required in controlled airspace. Plain and simple. No remote ID. You do what you want. Don't go 50 feet over the tallest object. So if you're sitting next to, you know, biggest tree in the world, have fun. Because if somebody is that low and this kind of resolves the the detect and avoid situation or that uh, they're probably doing something wrong and the least of their concerns is your drone. So um, I did want to get that out. So while not the totality of our response, uh, that was a, as quick as I could possibly make it. Um, uh, really so our, our, schedule, so our schedule is we're, we're going to work to post this out to the community over the next couple of days. Uh, we continue to welcome comments, but the idea here is that this is a document with the intended audience as the FAA. And so, of course, don't simply copy and paste. Use the ideas that we've put forward here to create your own unique and personal uh, submission before March 2. Second to that is I will be creating a video with a much simpler breakdown of this stance and um, to make it a little easier for people to digest what our stance is and those key points that they can focus on in their comments. And answering a question, where is the question here? Does shielded operations put our current 400 foot max AGL at risk? The answer is absolutely not. And so what we're trying to do is make sure that we're uh, particularly in uh, controlled airspace where the uh, AGL is zero. We're trying to make sure that we can have something, even if it's 100 feet, 150 feet, 50 feet, you know, anything is better than the massive number of zeros that we have that you can look at uh, when you're close to an airport and you sign on to Lance. Good question. So um, one of the things I want to like really put out there, guys, is not only are we pushing back, but we're pushing farther. So um the FAA is coming out with this remote ID uh uh NPRM and we are trying to negate as much of it as we can. We do understand that remote ID is coming in some form and I hope all of you understand that. And it's not that we don't want to eliminate remote ID in its totality, but the biggest thing I think that we can do is eliminate it for recreational. Um, but not only are we attempting to do that, we're attempting to push further and change some of the other problems that exist. So as you can see, if you've spent any time with the NPRM, a couple of things that they choose to do is go back into the FAA Reauthorization Act and change the language in some of that. And that's what they're doing through this. So that's what we're proposing that they can, if they're gonna change the registration requirements, or propose a change to the registration requirements, and we can propose a change for shielded operations or propose a change for a weight limit increase. So um, the idea here is not only to push back, but to push further. So um, and, what do you currently of, have as your weight limit? 
one kilogram. It's not bad. <laughs> so uh, I just want uh, you guys all to um, hopefully we can get this out pretty quickly to you guys as we wrap it up. Um, and, uh, and then I'll get that video out so that it's a little more concise for everybody, but, uh, any comments, questions, anything that we can answer before we wrap the meeting up? I don't want to steal your guys' entire evening, though. I do thank you all for being here. You guys are awesome. Going once. Thank you. I appreciate that, Rifle. All right. So going once, going twice. And I think we'll call it, Dave, Dan, everybody. Thank you. Have yeah, a good evening. Good. Thanks, everybody. Good one, guys. Thank you. See you in DC. Absolutely. Much love, y'all. Keep fighting the good fight. Absolutely.